Hey, it's already 8.30. I know John has <clears throat> a lot of folks, uh, or he has some folks still coming into the waiting room, but we should just go ahead and start because I want to see if I can at least once stop right away at 9 o'clock. So it's nice to see all of you again. Let's, let's, um, let's pray, and then, then we'll go. Hear me, O Lord. Amen. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, just a couple of just a couple of things as we go forward. Next week will be our last week together. Um, I know that things will heat up a little bit for you as, as you go into the summer. And so uh, we'll go next week and, and uh, talk about this one more time and then we'll have a go. I have a feeling we may come back to this in the future, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, then a, just a couple of things about other things. I got word yesterday that uh, our trip to Greece has been confirmed. So if you were on the fence or if you have friends who might still want to go, we've had a whole bunch of new people sign up to go. Um, so we're going to go in October to Greece and Turkey and Dr. Just and, and Pastor Ledick. There's every chance we'll be arrested in a foreign country. So if you just want to be there to witness it, you should come along. And then, of course, things are changing, you know, rapidly. I spend a lot of time these days talking to people about when it's safe to open up and what we'll do and how we'll go. You noticed, I'm sure, that uh, we've now uh, stopped the noon service on Wednesday. So we'll see what the, what happens in the Wednesday evening service and also Sunday morning. More and more people are coming back. We're trying to gauge, you know, what's the safe and smart thing to do. We know that you've been patient. We also know that it's been difficult and you like us would like to move back to normal. So, you know, just kind of keep thinking about it. Um, we are too on a daily basis and we'll see what happens. So um, this begging for a cure, it's an interesting thing. And also then the bidding to kind of look up, which is the traditional way to, you know, sort of raise your eyes to heaven. I've said this a time or two, but every time I go through my notes, I'm very struck by how many articles I've clipped and how many books I've got on my shelf about our troubles. And I'd started this even before COVID to put these things together about anxiety and loneliness and brokenheartedness and the fears that we have and what we do with suffering and sickness and melancholy and now, of course, that's just exploded. I had a, sort of a normal to sort of a tune up with my doctor today, who's a very strong Christian guy. And we, we spend very little time ever talking about medicine, but we talk about a lot of other things. And there's similarities in what we do. And he was very observant about uh, the psychological effects that people have suffered over this past year. And even in other medical folks, uh, been a very difficult time for so many people. The discovery I made across the course of this uh, was like so many things under the law or sin or brokenness, the list is endless if you begin to categorize troubles. So in one sense, while well, that's very, very interesting, in another sense, it is endless. And it's not a way to get to kind of any kind of resolution or solution. So what I've tried to do across the course of these weeks is at least give you a few things that might help you, might make it better. And some of these things are guaranteed, you know, saying your prayers. 
but there are things which may be less obvious to you. And so among them tonight, I just want to take up two, beauty and humor, which might seem a little bit on the outside, but, but not really. So, you know, what's the cure for all of these things? You know, what's the cure is, you know, to talk like a pirate. So I have a friend who went to an eye doctor last month and his eye doctor, mine always has me hold up a thing, but his eye doctor actually has him put on a patch when they check your vision. And immediately when he put the patch on, he began to talk like a pirate and the doctor was not amused. Um, She wasn't, she wasn't condescending. She had just seen this act before. And he turned to him and said, you know, what percentage of people talk like a pirate when they put on the, on the eye patch? And she said about half and more, more women than men, interestingly. So, you know, whatever that rules about you, you know, okay. But there's something, you know, below that, which is, and we all know this, that if you change your circumstance, you can change your life. And of course, we get advice like this all the time from diet to sleep to exercise to how long you should work every day. But there are some things that have been around for a good long time, which are spectacularly effective if we only embrace them. And two of those, I think, are, are, are beauty and humor. These aren't the sort of things that change you, you know, just by sleight of hand. Or remember earlier, we, t- we read the article about, you know, telling other people lies in order to console them. It's not that way. You know, one way to change your circumstance is to embrace beauty. For me, one of the places that always comes to mind when I do this is La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, this great work by Gaudi, which was started in 1882 and is still unfinished. And it's a remarkable place because it's so different, perhaps, than any place you've ever been, and yet spectacular. Um, I once showed pictures of it to a young man who was... um, uh, And he said, you know, if I could go to a church in a place like that, I might be a Christian. And that's a remarkable thing. Now, of course, it has a special place in my heart because this is the site of my first miracle. We were there with the Juss. We had tickets to wait in line. We misread our tickets and we got to the head of the line and we were an hour early. The trouble was there was a thunderstorm coming and you could see it coming, soaking everything with rain and, and lightning. We tried to beg our way in. We told them we were priests, We, which never, of course, very, goes very well in a Catholic com- country when you're there with you. And, uh, you know, we said, this is, you know, look, the weather's coming, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly there was a thunderclap and the turnstiles went down in front of us, to which then we very quickly said, this is an act of God. And they let us through. That was our, you know, first time in La Sagrada Familia. But it is a spectacular place. Um, And if you ever have a chance to go to Barcelona, that should be at the top of your list. It's really quite a remarkable thing. But if you are, you know, engaged in the arts or if you're an architect, you could say the same thing for musicians as well. People who have these skills can take you to places that you never realized were actually there. And if you sort them a bit, you'll find out that beauty has the chance to take you to someone beyond yourself. 
you remember in the Old Testament, maybe from other times when we've talked that the word for beauty in Hebrew is the word that's used to describe when fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice on the altar. These spectacular things have the possibility to console us because they're transcendent, which is just kind of a fancy way of saying um, they let you see into another place that's a long, long way away and far better than what you're used to. So beauty takes us beyond our normal circumstances. And when it does that, it gives us hope. Now, if you think about, for example, if you just think now in your mind about a piece of music that you love, or if you think of a painting or a poem that's impressed you, or especially if you think about a church, Gaudi's church is kind of a neo-Catalonian Gothic interpretation of great cathedrals, but so strange in how it's put together. When you, when you think about that, it's spectacular that such people are alive and walk among us in the world, but they also help us to remember that these things are available to us only because of the incarnation. Um, one of the Nyquists, the old man Nyquist, Paul said the other night at dinner, uh, he talked about how steps into time, which was a beautiful little phrase to describe what happens to us. Well, we can say the same thing about beauty. It's only um, available to us because Jesus stepped into our reality as a carpenter's son. And it shouldn't be lost on us that the way that Jesus um, found joy was in helping his father with wood and stone. You know, it's a bit debated about what it meant for Joseph. The word for carpenter can be to, to work with wood or work with stone, either one. But he, he worked with stuff. And there's this great joy of using things to make beautiful things. And so this, this quote from St. John Paul II, all the evangelical wealth of the true and the good and with this, he has also unveiled a new dimension of beauty. And so these good and the beautiful, right, to cling to these things, because they show us another place where things are holy, where things work, where people are consoled, where there is no suffering, where anxiety has ceased to exist, where there's not such a rub among people. You know, we have this great problem in America right now and even, you know, in cities and among families and churches. And, um, you know, this trouble that we've had over the past few months has not galvanized us in any way, but it has split us and sent us in all different directions, right? So, and this is going to be one of the questions we'll have to ask when we come back to St. John. One will be, we'll just have to count noses and see who's here. But we'll also have to ask ourselves, you know, what is it that can, can pull us together? Of course, there is the word of God. Of course, there's baptism in the Eucharist. But also the things that extol that gospel. Beautiful things. So we'll look so forward to music. And, you know, there are still things to do in the sanctuary. And, um, you know, even when you walk in the building now, it's it's 
it's not our normal rhythm. You know, it's so odd to have, um, you know, railings where you can't get through, right? The little, the little, um, you're standing behind and, and people can't each other. This is the strangest thing. We'll have to figure out uh, to have things put back in order and the normal flow, even of how you building. Those are all things. They point us to each other, but they also point us to Christ. And it's not bad then to have a bit of reflection on what have always been considered the great questions of life. Uh, I was walking through the Basilica with uh, a guided tour, and it was so interesting to have whomever had done this, you know, say, you know, already what I was thinking. The beauty of this place points us to the great questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And Christianity, of course, has a unique answer to this. And answered properly, these are precisely the things that can console us. If you've struggled in this time with depression or with things being meaningless or just being, feeling alienated from other people or oh so alone, right? These are the questions that need to be answered. Mm. Where in the world did I come from? And what am I doing here? And where am I going? And of course, these questions lie before us as, you know, our lives come back to us. But you'll notice the value of these questions is that they have order as opposed to chaos. This is the way that we order our life, that we know um, where we came from, that we know what we're meant to do, and we know the telos, the end game. So, um, you know, if you can embrace beautiful things, uh, you will find that it's a way that you can be relieved and consoled and hopeful. So another way, uh, you know, another, so you know, one possibility, one way, just, I, I would just suggest to you, if you, if you need to self-medicate, beauty is a great way in music, in architecture, in a museum, in a walk outside, uh, it's one of the joys of springtime, right? The flowers are out, the trees are budding. Um, console yourself with the notion that beauty can show you uh, the gifts of God that are beyond you, things you could never create. So that's that's one part of this, um, and perhaps more soft. The other part is uh, humor, you know. So say you've got a big brother who's just trying to love you, you know, or, uh, you know, you've got, you've got um, friends. I don't know if you have friends. I have friends that I can laugh instantly. Or sometimes, you know, Kirby will come in and I'll be in the other room on the phone with somebody and be laughing so hard she can guess who's on the other side, right? Because there are um, some people and some things that can, that can only, uh, that can take you places that, that you just can't believe. So, um, you know, humor is this gorgeous thing, but of course it's, it's a bit dangerous and it's a bit, it's a bit subjective, right? Uh, people always say in a job interview, if you want to, you know, take a real risk, try to be funny. Um, you know, the person on the other side may not think you're that clever, but there is a joy in how laughter can cure you. I'm sure you have this too, that there are some people who make you laugh in a way that is completely healing because in that, these are the people who understand you and you're confident deep down that they wouldn't hurt you. 
So um, in some sense, you know, humor and happiness uh, kind of go together. So there's been this new book published called The Happiness Hypothesis. There's a dozen books published like this, but this one was interesting to me because it hits so many of the same markers that we have um, when we uh, talk about Christianity. So look at this. This is um, only has a little bit of quote, but it's it's a little bit of a review written by uh, by somebody. Um, happiness is not something you can find or buy. And then you know you knew that, but here's the interesting thing: you can only get the conditions for it right, and then wait. That's a remarkably Christian statement. You know, we say this all the time in the church, right? You can only get the conditions for it right. You do the things that you're meant to do, right? Christ and scripture and prayer and the liturgy and the Eucharist and tithing and alms and mercy and witness. You, you can just, you, you do the things that Jesus has given you to do. And then you, you wait to see what will happen next. You know, this is Luther, you know, right after the Diet of Worms. He said, you know, you know, um, you know, he'd say, you know, I didn't do anything. I had a beer. I laughed with my friends. And he said, you know, now we'll wait and see what the Lord will do. So I encourage you sort of as you as you come out on the other side of all the stuff we've been through for the last year or so, that uh, even now you begin to prepare the conditions for what will make life wonderful on the far side. What are the conditions of happiness? How can I get them in my own life in relation to my family and friends? Or my work as an industrial designer, This the, the person who's writing this. Or in relation, and here's where it gets interesting, in relation to something bigger, often in the presence of great art. Hate writes, so this is the guy who wrote the book. It is worth striving to get the right relationships between yourself and others, between yourself and your work, between yourself and something larger than yourself. This is screaming, this is screaming for what the church has, right? A, a kiss of the transcendental, you know, some connection with things that are bigger than we are. If you get these relationships right, a sense of purpose and meaning will emerge. This is precisely what we say in the church, right? You do your work. And just a little, uh, you know, Tim Tiemann, if you're there tonight, that's from Fast Company, which 28 years ago, you bought me my first subscription and said, you should read this because it's the rolling stone of business magazines. And I still am. So I owe you. Right. Thank you. Now, um, here's the bonus with humor. It's actually true for beauty, but I thought about it particularly for humor. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but humor is something that the devil can't stand. Jesus has this glorious sense of humor. You see it coming out from time to time and how he treats people or he shrugs his shoulders or raises his eyebrows. One of the best stories is when, you know, the local authorities come and ask him to pay the temple tax. And he's like, ah, we don't have to pay the tax. We're children. We're not servants. But he doesn't try to make trouble. Instead, you remember, he sends Peter to catch a fish. When he catches the fish, he says, there'll be a coin in its mouth, enough for you and enough for me. Right? sort of the freedom of that and the joy and the generosity. It's a remarkable little miracle that gets almost no attention. But you have to think that Jesus laughed all the way home there. Now, the interesting thing about the devil is um, 
He's filled with pride, and pride demands respect. This is why the devil tries to frighten you when you're scared. You're showing respect. Um, this is why exorcists in an exorcism uh, talk down to the devil, humiliate him, because it gets him off his game. Behind this is the notion that humor demands humility, right? So the ability to laugh at ourselves or to laugh with other people. And it's very interesting. Humility is the one virtue that the devil can't imitate. You know, there's the warning in scripture about the devil being, uh, appearing as angels of light uh, or sons of God, right? And there's constantly the turn what's true and what's false. You know, what's holy and what's evil. One of the primary ways you can do that in life is with an appeal to humility. Because that is the one, that is the one virtue that the devil will not and actually cannot imitate. The devil is pure pride. And um, humor demands humility. And this is why humor is among the things that that save us, that make us safe, right? Even Shakespeare, right? Othello. The rob that smiles steals something from the thief. Right? It's gorgeous. This is gorgeous sentiment, right? So you can even use a bit of humor to protect yourself. For example, this was um, St. Lawrence today. Uh, I think it's 286, but I'd have to look it up. Uh, you remember that... Um, there was a purge declared by the Roman emperor. And I think it was Pope Sixtus uh, took everybody underground. And so they would worship in the catacombs in Rome. And when this was declared, they rounded everybody up. They took the Pope first and they killed him. And then there were seven deacons that dared for the people. And uh, one by one, they killed him. Last was St. Lawrence. Um, they came for him and demanded all the golden vessels from the catacombs. So he said, well, this is a big place. It'll take me three days to round these up. He, um, they, the soldiers left him. And so he gathered up everything that they had and sold it all over the next three days and gave it to the poor. When the soldiers come, came back, they were, they were uh, not amused that they had been flummoxed. And so they um, decided to execute St. Lawrence by frying him in a big pan. And, you know, his final words, this is, you take this for what it's worth, you can believe it or not, but the joy of it. Um, halfway through, as, um, you can turn me over now, this side is done. And, you know, you sort of, you know, of course, it's, it's the humor of, uh, you know, it's gallows humor. But it is a, a, a good laugh, uh, uh, fair humor, the joy of being with friends, with being connected, with being humble, with laughing at yourself is a great defense against evil. And I think that we don't think about that enough. Now, you have to be terribly careful, you know, sort of cutting humor, sarcastic humor, which is very difficult because, you know, the problem, the reason satire or sarcasm works is that it's true. The greatest satirist, the reason they're good is the same reasons are good. They can find people, the thing that's deficient and the, the touch point that really hurts. So 
you know, you need to be so, so, so careful with it. But on the other hand, if you could somebody that you can share a couple of stories with, Rick, you know, Rick, if you have a friend, you know, you can talk about, uh, uh, you know, that's a, that's a great, a great joy. And there are even, of course, people who prayed for this. So this, this prayer for humor from St. Thomas More. This is an odd thing, right? That you have a saint who prays for humor. But um, Pope Francis regularly, he says he prays this prayer daily. Very interesting, right? Grant me, O Lord, good digestion and also something to digest. You know, that's, that's the, I guess, St. Thomas More's way of come Lord Jesus. Grant me a healthy body and the necessary good humor to maintain it. So different use of the humor. Grant me a simple soul that knows how to treasure all that is good and doesn't frighten evilly at the sight of evil, but rather finds the means to put things back in their place. Look at that order, right? Joy and order. Give me a soul that knows not boredom, grumbling, sighs, laments, nor excess stress because of that obstructing thing called I. You know, we'd say ego, and we'd identify that as the source of many of our problems today. Grant me, O Lord, a sense of good humor. Allow me the grace to be able to take a joke, to discover in life a bit of joy, and to be able to share it with others. You know, there is in that, uh, in both beauty and humor, there's not the need to dominate or even to be at the center of things. Instead, there is the joy of being, the joy of rejoicing in the gifts that are in nature or in other people. And there is something consoling about that. Um, it's almost nine, so I don't want to go too far, but it's, it's startling to me how often Jesus speaks of this, especially in John's gospel, which is known as the gospel of love, uh, but also how often Jesus speaks of joy. So, you know, this very thing, I'll put it just right at the top here, John 10, 10. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or if you know it in a different translation, I've, I've come that they may have life and may have it abundantly, right? Not this sort of cloistered or um, somehow bound life, uh, this pandemic life where we're all shut in, but this abundant life. Right? I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. And then a long bit about, um, you know, not being worried and the way and the truth and the life, right? True and good and beautiful and transcendent. I, I know the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. So you can see into another place and um, say your prayers and you can have what you like. And if you love me, you'll keep my commands. This glorious thing where love is relationship, but then also as uh, as we finished um, this last thing that's just right at the bottom, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, right? So the stories that Jesus told you, he told you because he wants you to have joy. You're not meant to be miserable. You're not meant to be disordered. You're not meant to be broken. You know, all the things that we talked about at the beginning, you're not meant to be in fear. Your heart's not meant to be broken. You're not meant to be lonely or sick or um, immersed in melancholy or feeling life is meaningless. It's not, that's not what it is. 
And if you need to um, escape a bit, you know, beauty and humor are good ways to do that. So you might uh, you might give it a try. And then this last bit from Brother Roger to say, divine love is so big as to contain all our stars and still be joy, right? So even behind beauty and humor is the notion that God loves us. And that's really the single thing you need to know. This is, you know, of course, from the last couple of times I've spoken of this, where wherever love and holiness are synonyms, you're in heaven, right? Divine love is so big. It can contain all our sorrows, recognize them, you know, examine them, but still be joy. Um, this is why love is the chief virtue and the things that we should be known for. So, all right, there you go. Nine o'clock. That seemed shorter than normal, probably because it was, but um, to help yourself, you might uh, find a way to have a good laugh and also um, begin again to visit or listen to or see beautiful things. You'll see. It'll make a difference for you. Okay. Love you all. It's good to see the faces that I see. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice that you're, I can only see a few when I, when I do this, but it's, it's very good to, to see you folks um, out. Uh, I miss you. Hopefully we'll get back to normal sooner rather later and also begin to travel a bit and, and see one another. That would be good too. So, all right. Um, some sleep. See, I'll hang around if you want to chatter a little bit. But otherwise, you're free. Love you. It's so nice to it's so nice to see you. It'll, I'll miss you know not being with you, but you know hopefully we're going to move back a little closer on Sunday, and that'll be a good thing for us. When are the assignments for new? Victims? Well, they are past us. This is a sad thing. We didn't get a vicar, so um, we're in a bit of a tizzy with that. After 21 years in a row, um, I don't exactly know what we're going to do, but stay tuned. We'll figure something out, Marge. Thank All right, you. John. Thanks, Mary. Uh, you were great. Ted, good night. Love you all. And uh, see you Sunday. Okay.